Welcome to iChurch. Our mission is to break bondage, inspiring you. If you'd like more information, please visit our website, iChurchOKA.com. But now, get ready for what God has to say to you. says, do not be anxious about anything. I'm going to repeat that again. Philippians chapter 4 verse 6 says, do not be anxious about anything. I'm going to start and I want you to finish it with me. I want to make sure you're listening. I want to make sure you're paying attention. It says, do not be anxious about anything. Doesn't matter what it is. Doesn't matter. You listen, it doesn't matter what it is. Pastor, I know that. I've read it in Scripture, but it's, I'm just worried all the time. And the Bible says, do not be anxious about anything. But in every situation, by prayer and petition, here it gives us a solution. It says, in every situation, by prayer and petition, with thanksgiving, present your request to God. Now, maybe you're living anxious in, any, in everything. And the reason you're living anxious in everything is because you're not presenting every situation in prayer to God. Maybe it's because you're not giving thanks for the present situation. Maybe because you're not bringing, maybe because you're not saying, God, thank you for what I have today, is that you're so anxious about tomorrow. Now, that may not be the case. That may not be the case. But some of you, that may be the case. But here's the problem with the whole scenario. The scenario is that the Bible says, do not be anxious about anything. Are you listening? The Bible says, don't be anxious about anything. You're over worried about that situation. You should not, you live worried and you shouldn't live that way. So here's the problem. Why the heck, why in the world are you so disobedient knowing that's what Scripture says? If you know that's what the Word says, why? The Bible says don't worry about it and you're constantly worried. Why do we do that? Why do you do that? What's wrong? Why do you do that? Come on. Don't just make this another Sunday, guys. Come on, gang. Why, Why do you do that? Why do you do it? Why, why do you do it? Let me go with you in a second. And I'm going to teach you something out of Scripture. Some of us are worried all the time. And we're worried all the time because, because we're not presenting prayer requests before God. But that's not, that's not the case of everybody in this room. Some of you do pray and say, God, I want you to take control. So, Pastor, what's wrong then? If that's not my scenario, what, what should I learn today? Here, let me show you something I want to teach you. I want to go take you to the book of Ma- Matthew. And in the book of Matthew, chapter 26, verse 36 to 45, I want to take you to the Garden of Gethsemane. Pastor, I want, what are you trying to do? I want to show you why, you why you're so carnal. I want to show you. I want to show you why you do this. I want to show you why you worry. I want to help you today. My goal before you leave this room, I don't want to cause a sensation. My goal before you leave this room is that you'll walk out of this building and when you're on your way to the parking lot, you'll be able to say, man, I'm so glad I went to church today because that really helped me. And I'm opening up my heart here because every single here thing here is my main problem. Some people have problems with drugs. Some people have problems. Some men have problems with women. They're always looking for the wrong woman. Um, some people have problems with premarital sex. Some people have problems with lying. Some people have problems. I have many sins in me and I have many problems. But this by, all, by far is my greatest struggle. My greatest struggle is that I'm always worried. 
I'm always worried, guys. It's Monday, and I'm worried about next month as a pastor. I'm being vulnerable. I'm being transparent right now. If you guys want to take a hit at me, if you guys want to criticize me when you walk out of the room and say, well, that's not, that's not what a pastor is supposed to do. That's all right. You say what you have to say. I'm just being transparent with you. I'm always worried. I'm always concerned. It's like, you know, I, I get so concerned, guys, that I lay down in bed, and sometimes it's 3 o'clock in the morning, and you say, why does a godly man do that? It's 3 o'clock in the morning. I don't know if this ever happened to you. And even though you're asleep and your eyes are closed, you're really, your mind hadn't stopped working. Your mind is just thinking constantly. Sometimes it's so bad with me that I go to bed and my mind, and I know some of you are going to get ready to criticize me as soon as you walk out of the room and say, man, that, he's a pastor. Look at that. And, and that's the problem. See, you know why pastors are so fake? Pastors are so fake because they're afraid to tell the truth. But I'm not going to stand here and lie to you. I'm going to tell you the truth. I lie in bed and my mind keeps on working and working, which just doesn't stop. Sometimes it's so bad. Let me tell you what happened a couple of nights ago. A couple of nights ago, it was so bad. I was dreaming. I was dreaming. It was, I was dead asleep and my mind was going on and I'm tossing and turning in bed and my mind is worried about church. I'm worried about people that are hurting and I'm thinking about how to reach everybody I could. I'm thinking about strategic ways to be efficient to you that are sitting there right now. See, you're sleeping at home, but I'm at home thinking about you and my mind is there thinking about you and I'm thinking about how to be more efficient in your life and as I was thinking about how to be more efficient in your life, one person came to me. This is a dream. One person came spoke to me and I said, oh, but we need to do this. Another person came to me and spoke to me and literally some of them I can name that you're sitting here and you were in my dream okay that's you you, you know you're so difficult I even have you in my dreams okay and I'm in my dreams and you're bringing your situations to me and I'm saying and I'm saying I'm saying I'm, I'm, I'm telling you well you know one, one person came to me and I said well do this with your daughter and your granddaughter that's what you need to do because don't worry about it because you're over worrying about it somebody else came to me and said pastor what do I do in my career in the future I don't know if I did the right thing I, I, some, I, I, I made this decision I moved away and I'm not content with it and I don't know if I made the right call and I was guiding that person in that decision I was coming over and I was guiding somebody and as I was guiding everybody and I was telling everybody there came a moment that I looked around there were so many people and the first thing I thought was, what if I mess up? What if I give the wrong advice? What if I say the wrong thing? What if I hurt somebody? What if I didn't think that through? What if, what if I may, what if, you know, and I was worried about hurting people. And as I was worried about, and I wanted just to be that good pastor, all of a sudden, everybody started crowding on me and everybody came to me and everybody started going, you got to tell me, you got to tell me, you got to tell me, listen, what are you going to do? And I looked around and I wanted to give the answer. I didn't know. And I said, oh, what do I do? How do I get out of this? And then I woke up. And when I woke up, I said, oh, thank you, Lord. It's a dream. And I got up and I went to the bathroom. I'm not going to tell you what I did in the bathroom. But I went to the bathroom and after I went to the bathroom, here's the thing. I came back and I said, oh, I'm so happy. It was a dream. I don't know if this ever happened to you. As soon as I hit the pillow, I fell asleep and right there and right then. I don't know if this ever happened to you. Everybody was still there. Where'd you go? What are you talking about? Come over here. We have to talk to you. The dream just continued right where it stopped. I'm not lying. The dream continued right where it was. I thought I got away from it. So I struggled with it for three more hours. So at five o'clock in the morning, I wake up and I wake up and I'm like, what? You know, and I just have this battle in me. I just had this bad, and I was so concerned and so worried. And I know I was struggling because that's the fiber of my sin, to over-worry, to be burdened. And in that worry and in that burden, I just came over me, and I said, why do I do this? And I want to talk to you about why we do this. Sometimes it's because we don't take it in prayer, but, but sometimes it's not just that. I want to take you to the, I want to take a look at the Garden of Gethsemane and in, in that garden I want to talk to you about Jesus. Now before I go there, just for those that are visiting for the first time and may not know a lot about the Bible, and I'm not 
take it for granted what you know. I just want to make sure that everybody's on the same page. Follow me for just a second. I'll give you a little bit of a background. The Garden of Gethsemane is at the bottom of the Mountain of Olives, and at the bottom of the Mountain of Olives, what would happen was that they would take the olives, literally, the Mountain of the Olives is, is, is olives, literally, and they would take them, they would bring them down to the threshing floor, and what they would do is they would take the olives and they would squeeze pure oil out of it. Now, that's a process of crushing down at the Garden of Gethsemane, and they would do it there because that's where they would pack the oil, and they would send it out, and oil was very used. So they're at the threshing floor place, which is Gethsemane, and that's what the word means. And while he's in there, Jesus Christ is there with his disciples. And what very few of you know is that the whole last five days of Jesus Christ, when he's dying, the last five days of his life are really reliving what happened in the, fe the feast of the Passover. Jesus Christ made it there with his disciples because they were going to celebrate the Passover. And pastor, what was the Passover? The Passover was one of seven festivals that they would hold. And what happened was on this festival specifically, every, every Every single Jew would come in, every single Hebrew would come in back to Jerusalem and they would go there and for the last five days they would celebrate the Passover. Pastor, and what's the Passover? The Passover was literally remembering how God passed over them and didn't hurt them. Back in the day when Moses was alive, Moses and all the people of God, they were prisoners under the Pharaoh and at a certain moment plagues came and the plagues took over the people and at one point Moses told his children, he told them, listen, guys, we're going to do something. I want every single one of you to take a lamb and you're going to take this lamb and you're going to take care of it and you're going to separate it. And every year from now on, we're going to celebrate the Passover. I want you to kill the lamb and I want you to break its head and I want you to let it bleed. And when it's bleeding, I want you to grab the blood and I want you to put the blood over the doorway and you're going to put it over the doorway because a plague is going to come. And when the plague comes, those that are covered by the blood of the lamb will be passed over. You will not be touched. So the last five days Jesus is there and what had happened was that throughout time the festival of the Passover had become a great party everybody was drinking and everybody was partying and the music was on and they would go and they would commemorate the Passover but it had lost its effect the people of God had forgotten what it was to be covered by God there's so many times that we forget as I look at what creative team built up here and I wish I could show you guys a little more of what's up here. Just, I, I believe they were glued. Actually, this one wasn't. You know, as you look at this, and you know, it, it, they reconstructed part of what, what, what Jesus went through. And we think it's just another, we think it's just another day, but really it's more than that. The Passover was Jesus Christ coming in place to cover the new covenant. And it used to be, we remember God covering us in Egypt under the law with Moses, and now we need a new lamb. Now we're going to sacrifice a new lamb and when they were just two days away they're in the garden of Gethsemane and Jesus Christ knows that he's going to have shackles he knows that he's going to get beat he knows he's going to get hit he knows he's going to have a crown on his head and as Jesus Christ comes into this session this season of his life he knows that all of this is happening and he's going into this situation this scenario that he's about to suffer and when you look at the Bible in Matthew and you go to chapter 26 verse verse 36 and to 45 you read Jesus in the garden of Gethsemane and he's in the threshing floor, literally. He's getting pressed so purity comes out of him because he knows he's about to be the new lamb. He's going to sacrifice and those are going to be covered by his blood. The curse is going to go right above them and will not touch him. But Jesus Christ knows they need a new lamb. And if you go back and you know the Bible, there's a moment where one of the patriarchs of God, Abraham, he's giving his son in sacrifice and a lamb pops out and they take him out and they sacrifice it and the son lives. But in the case of, of Jesus Christ, he, there is 
is no other lamb. He knows he's it. He knows they're going to cut his. He knows you're going to make him bleed. He knows you're going to crucify him to the cross. He knows ahead of time as a prophet that they're going to put nails in his hands. And those nails are going to hold him to the cross. Now, I know you've heard many messages of the cross, and I'm not going to preach about that today. But I want you to understand that that old rugged cross is where Jesus Christ is going to go because he has to pay the price. So now we are passed over once again. Once again, we need to be passed over. We need a new blood because people have lost the power of the initial blood of the Lamb on the day of Passover. They, they, they have adulterated it and Jesus Christ is going to come to replace it. Now here's Jesus thinking, man, they're going to take a nail and they're going to put it right through my hand. They're going to nail me to the cross. They're going to put me up there. Just think about the strength of that nail going into the cross for a second. Think about Jesus Christ on the cross with the nail going through his hands and his feet and a crown of thorns on his head. I mean, if we took these silly props that are just good illustrations and I use them today, if I grab this right now and I tossed it on top of my head and I bled just a little bit, you guys would go, oh, this actually, this crown is, is actually one third the size of the real thorns they were used. This nail isn't even close to what they used. Why? Because it wasn't this refined. It was much more brusque and it was much more rough when they put it through his hands. It held them there. They didn't even put it through his hands if you go serious. They went right through They went right through his wrist. And the reason they went through his wrist is because it would not come through and it would hold them into the cross. So when you think about Jesus Christ going through all this, he knows he's about to go through it. Here we are. He's at the Garden of Gethsemane. He knows it's about to happen. He knows they're coming to arrest him and right there and right then we fall into this chapter and in Matthew chapter 26 verse 36 it reads the following then Jesus went to his disciples to a place called Gethsemane and he said to them sit here while I go over there and pray now you could say pastor what are you saying well I'm going to show you how Jesus Christ was in in anguish but as he thought about all these things the Bible says he was praying so Jesus was praying he knew what was coming. He actually said, let's go pray. So if you think, Pastor, why am I always worried because I don't pray? Well, no, maybe you do pray and you still get worried. Jesus was praying. And it says in verse 37, he took Peter and the two sons of Zebedee along with him. And he began to be, listen, two words here. He began to be sorrowful and troubled. He began to be sorrowful and troubled. You know, you could have a Peter with you. He knew he needed to pray in the midst of trouble, so he took two guys with him. Number one, he went to pray. Number two, he took two guys to be a support system. Pastor, what are you saying? You could be praying and you could have a good support system and still break down. You could be praying and you could have a good support system. Your wife may be a good support system, and some of you don't have that. Your boyfriend, your girlfriend, your, your pastor, your church. See, some of you don't have a good support system, but some of you do. And you could still have a good support system. And you could still go into terrible anguish, sorrow, and trouble. And there's Jesus in verse 38. And it says, then he said to them, look what he says to them. My soul is overwhelmed with sorrow to the point of death. I'm going to focus on that. He says, my soul is overwhelmed with sorrow to the point of death. Jesus Christ was saying, I am overwhelmed 
and I have sorrow. Let me explain these two words to you real quickly because it's really important that you understand it because when you read this, you may say, oh yeah, Jesus Christ was just sad about it. No, he was more than sad. The word overwhelmed really means adamoneo and adamoneo means to be heavy. If you read King James, King James says he was heavily burdened. Pastor, what was he? He was in anguish. He was in distress. The word used for adonomeo is when you take literally when you got burnt. If you were working with fire and you burnt your hand, that burn would automatically put you in anguish. And that state of anguish and despair and worry about you getting burned was what Adomeo was. It comes from that root. So when you said this word, what it's really saying was that Jesus Christ was burning up inside of him. He was worried. He was, he was in despair. He knew that the time was going to come. He knew the nails were coming. He knew the whip was coming. He knew the crown was coming. So Jesus Christ is in despair in the whole process knowing that it's going to get worse. And the Bible says that he was worried. But he wasn't just worried. The Bible says he was in sorrow. And when it says he was in sorrow, the original word in sorrow, Lideo says that he was, that he was, he was crying. He was sad. When you combine being worried and sad, I don't know what you call that, but if I would look at it, I would say that the, that, that the clinical term for it might be close to being in depression. Might be close to being in an anxiety attack. Pastor, what are you saying? You kidding me? You telling me Jesus Christ was going through worry and sorrow and that he was freaking out? Yes. Yes. And he was Jesus Christ. So where am I going at? When you, when you freak out, whatever you're worrying over, I want you to understand something. You are not greater than Jesus Christ. So if Jesus Christ being the Son of God in his flesh, he struggled with this, how much more will we struggle with it until Jesus comes back? See, that's why I await the coming of the Lord Jesus Christ. I await for him because I know that this current world that I live, guys, I'm going to freak out. I'm going to worry. I'm a dad. I'm a husband. I'm a pastor. I'm a spiritual grandfather already. And I worry. I went to Puerto Rico. And when I went to Puerto Rico this last week, I went to visit one of my spiritual children. Pastor, what's a spiritual child? What is that? It means you cheated on your wife in the spirit? No. No, a spiritual child means that I have invested in somebody spiritually in church and they have grown with me and they have taken on like sponges and I've been their mentor and I've guided them until they became the leader they were supposed to be. So then when they see you later, they acknowledge you as a spiritual father. They don't call me father, just call me pastor. But I invest in their lives totally. And they have had children and their children, I mean physical children. I mean one of them we actually raised and I was I went to his house and he was in my house. We picked them up as an orphan off the street and my wife and I had him and we we literally physically invested in his life and, and he grew up and now he's married and has this beautiful home. And, and something broke my heart when I was there. When I was there um, preaching this last week, I was there and, and something just, just tore me to pieces. As I went in, their, their little son who's called Jay, um, he, he was waiting for grandpa. He calls me grandpa pastor. And he says, is grandpa pastor coming? Is grandpa? He was so excited. And when he came home from school, I was going to go over to just see him for a couple of minutes. And, and as I was going there, he told his dad, daddy, 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 I got to take a shower because, because grandpa pastor's coming. And when he comes, I want him to see that I look just like him, that someday I'm going to be a pastor just like him, that I look clean and I'm organized. So he wanted to take a shower. And here's what broke my heart. When I got there, he came out and he had the most Look, look, he took his hair and he gelled it up and he did a copy of my hair. He just did a copy of it. He just, he just did, 
all the way back and he came out with his shorts and his hair, his hair was all gelled back and he, and he was shiny. He had perfume on and he came up to me and he just hugged me and he loved it. And I'm telling you, for the next two hours and a half, the, him and his sister spent all their time in my lap and kissing me and hugging me and telling me they loved me and they missed me and how they wish I was there. And as my heart tore in the process because I looked at them and I wanted to do so much for them, I heard something that really hurt me. What I heard was that, and it was a simple thing and it made me nothing to you guys you guys probably don't even care about it but to me it's still it's still a little has a little bit of sentimental value to it as i sat there in their living room and i looked at them in this beautiful house um at one point i went to the bathroom and i went to the bathroom myself i went to turn on the faucet and there was no water so i i looked over when i looked over in the shower there was a bucket a five gallon gallon pail bucket and I walked out. There was only a tiny little bit of water left in the five-gallon bucket. And as I walked out, they were serving me food where, with no water in the house. And as I ate dinner and I looked over, I noticed that none of them were bathed except Jay. And out of curiosity, when I was leaving, I asked him, do you have water? And he said, no. Every single day it's been gone. We get about two hours of water, but since we both work, we don't have water in the house because we're both working. We need to work to make the money so we didn't have water in the house. I said, Do you have a, res a reservoir of water? He says, no, I don't have a reservoir of water. And then Jay says from the back, and to take a bath, Grandpa, it is so cold. That just wasn't right. Something about the equation wasn't right. For a second, I had forgotten my roots and where I came from. I had forgotten to look over my shoulder and see who could have a worse situation than I can. Here I have this little child telling me, excited to see me, and he's willing to take a cold shower and look slick just so I could approve of him. He wants his father's approval, so he's willing to do anything necessary to be approved. He was worried, and his worried, his worriness helped him defeat his fear. And as I saw this little child defeating his fear with his worriness, I've asked myself, what do I do with my worry? How selfish am I? What do I do with my worriness? Do I defeat my fears and overcome? Or do I just take my worries and bury myself in them and live in anxiety? Jesus Christ was there and he was struggling. Pastor, why was he struggling? He was Jesus Christ because if you look at the Bible in the book of Galatians chapter 5, the Bible says in the book of Galatians chapter 5 exactly why he was struggling. His struggle goes way beyond the human struggle. His struggle goes because Galatians chapter 5 verse 17 says, For the flesh desires what is contrary to the Spirit. I'm going to repeat that again. For the flesh desires what is contrary to the Spirit. What does a flesh desire what is what contrary to the spirit i have a battle constantly between my flesh and my spirit and the spirit and the spirit 
what is contrary to the flesh. There's a battle between my flesh and my spirit. My spirit wants one thing and my flesh wants the other. They are in conflict with each other so that you are not to do whatever you want. So the Bible's telling me that I have a constant battle inside of me between my flesh and my spirit. My spirit knows what is right, but my flesh in this world will always be wounded. Pastor, what are you saying? Jesus Christ had left heaven and now he was in the garden of Gethsemane and he knows he's about to get killed and his spirit knew what he needed to do but his flesh went against what he needed to do and the same thing he was struggling he was struggling so today I could look at it and understand that he struggled through it first that he went through it so I wouldn't have to he went through this battle of flesh and spirit inside of him he knows exactly how I feel when I'm worried about my children when I'm worried about their future when I'm worried about my home when I'm worried about he knows exactly how you feel come on I'm listen to me God knows exactly how you feel with what you're worried about. It's not just another Sunday. No, it's not. You walked in here because I'm going to teach you the truth. The truth is God knows what you're worried about. God knows when you're worried about ministry. Listen, listen. God knows when you're worried about finances, about your health, about your sickness. He knows. So, Pastor, what did he do? Why does this happen? Why did he go through this pain? Why does our sovereign God allow us to go? Why did God allow his son to go through this pain? I'll tell you why. I'll read it for you. I won't tell you. I'll read it for you. In verse 39, going a little farther, after he saw this, he fell his face to the ground and prayed. After Jesus saw what was going on, after Jesus saw that he was in, in worriness, the Bible said that he had prayed at the beginning, and he said, I left to pray, and I was filled with sorrow. And it said that when he went further, he started praying again. It's not about praying when you're worried. It's about praying constantly when you're worried. It's not about, people. some people ask me, why do I have to keep on praying about the same thing? You're not praying because God didn't hear you. You're praying because inside of you, there's a level of dependency on a higher power. I don't, call, I don't care what you call it or how you look at it. Every single one of us has a need inside for a higher power. There's a natural need inside of us for approval and for, us and for acceptance of a great God. And there's no way of getting away from that. But the problem is we search for our approvals. Listen, you're searching for your approval in your business. You're searching for your approval at work. You're searching for your approval in an action. No matter who you go to, no matter what security system you lift up, it's not going to work unless you go back in prayer. You need to run to the author of life. You need to con. You could be a Christian who just walk in. You could be a person who's sitting here who's never given your life to Jesus Christ. Or you could be a pastor with 24 years of experience as I am. And every time I worry, I have one thing to do. I got to run back to Jesus Christ. I got to go back to him. I got to go back to him and look at him and know that, that he went with his face to the ground. That he prayed, my father, if it is possible, may this cup be taken from me. Yet not as I will, but as you will. It's normal to be worried because of the battle in the flesh and the spirit. Then in verse 40, he returned to his disciples, his support system, and he found them sleeping. Sometimes our support system doesn't work because your support system is the wrong system. Sometimes your support system doesn't work because your support system is the wrong system. We search for the wrong things in the wrong people and in the wrong areas. And listen, half of the time, listen up, listen, half of the time, nobody's failing you. The problem is you put higher expectations than you should have in the first place. 
No, no, pastor, I felt they're failing me. No, it's not they're failing you. It's that you expected more from that person. Sometimes we're searching for God in our wife. We're searching for God in our children. We're searching for God. Well, I'm upset with this situation. Pastor, I'm upset with my boyfriend or my girlfriend. I'm upset with my, I'm upset with you, pastor. Here's a problem. Problem is you can't place God in these people because it's never going to, you're never going to find them. You're going to find yourself frustrated. Jesus Christ took two disciples with him that were going to be a support system and be there for him. But when he went back, they were sleeping. And he looks at them. He says, couldn't you guys sleep? Couldn't you guys just keep awake for a couple of hours? Couldn't you guys just do this? We want the blessing. Listen to me. I don't care if you guys hate me. I'm going to tell you the truth. We want the blessing of a full-grown spiritual relationship with God where we feel his anointing. We're able to walk out of sin, but we're not willing to pay the price for it. We want to lose 400 pounds without going on a diet and keep on eating Snickers and Milky Way. It just doesn't work. It doesn't work. It doesn't work. We understand that concept for everything. I want my car never to break down. So I'll do oil change, oil and filter change. I'll put gas in it. And we understand that concept. But when it comes to our own spiritual life, we want all these spiritual filled life. But we're not willing to stop at the gas station of the spirit and fill up. And we'll constantly miss church or we'll miss prayer and we'll miss the presence of God. And then we say, well, why do I feel this way? Well, you feel that way and you're going through that because you're forgetting to refuel on the way. You, and what that does that you're replacing God and you're saying, well, you know what? I'm before God. I could do this without him. Oh, pastor, I'd never say that. We don't say it with our mouth, but I say it sometimes and you say it sometimes with our actions. We want to stay in the same place doing the same thing and expect a different result. Some of you know you're supposed to move. Some of you know you're supposed to walk in God's obedience. Some of you know God's working with you. Some of you know that, listen, there are people visiting here for the first, second time. You, listen, guys, some of you that are not church members yet, you know this is the place you're supposed to be right now as you sit there. But you kept on playing the same key and you're expecting a different result. It's not going to work. There comes a point you got to stop and say, it's not about me. It's about what I need to do right now for God. It's about the change I need to do. It's about my faithfulness to him. In verse 42, he went, he goes and he prays and he tells him, guys, the spirit is willing, but the flesh is weak. And in verse 42, he went away a second time and prayed again. This is what you do. This is what you do when you're overworried. You pray once, you pray twice, you keep on going back and you keep on praying. You don't give up. When you're worried at three in the morning, at five in the morning, you don't go back to sleep to the same um, nightmare. What you do is you go on your knees. See, the reason you're not sleeping is because your flesh is contending with your spirit. And I don't care if you're awake or you're asleep. I got to degree i didn't wake up yesterday guys in my degree i could talk to you a little bit about i could talk to you a little bit about psychology and how the brain works and i'll tell you one main thing there's a subconscious that constantly leaks information to the conscious and it as it leaks information the best time for it to work is when it could pulse more energy and more blood than ever and that's exactly when you sleep that's why everything bad tends to happen at night that's why fever goes up at night that's why you have nightmares see that's why the bible says you will cry at night but joy cometh in the morning it says it because it's true at nighttime your brain goes on hyper mode and you're able to access things you weren't worried about all day if you were worried during the morning you're even more worried at night it just like the gloominess comes upon you and it sticks to you so you have to keep on going back in prayer you got to wake up if it's three or four in the morning and you can't sleep and you go back in prayer is what the bible says that's what jesus did and as he did that, the Bible continues to say in chapter 42, in chapter, in verse 42, it says that he went and he prayed and he said, my father, it is not possible. He says, he, he figured out, hey, I can't go after this. He says, there's no way to go around this. He was in sufferment and he said, I got to go through this and I got to live this. There's certain moments when you confront God that God will take some things out, but there's some things guys are just going to have to live with. So here's Jesus. And you say, pastor, he's not in anguish. And you know, I searched to try to illustrate this to you every way I could and I didn't want to put on the passion of Christ because we use it 4,500 
156 times in church. But here's, here's, here's the funny thing about it. I can't find another recreation greater than this. I want you to watch the screen for a second and see our Jesus Christ feeling the same way you feel sometimes when you're worried. take over the spirit is when Satan looks at you and he knows exactly what he wants he's wanting to burden you and he's wanting you to feel that you that you can't overcome and here's the problem with the whole situation I don't have the time to show you it today but from the garden of Gethsemane in anguish and worry our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ he had said Father, let your will be done, not mine. So, so when I stand in church today and I hear something like this, can you please give me the lyrics of the song, Man of Sorrows, that we were singing? Give me that first verse. As we do this, I want you, I want you to pay attention to exactly what is there. It says, Man of Sorrows, Lamb of God, by his own betrayed. Talk about worries. The sin of man and the wrath of God has been on Jesus laid silent as he stood accused and he was beaten and mocked and scorned blowing bowing to the father's will he took a crown of thorns I'm not saying that we're not called ever to live worriness I know we will live worried. I know that it, no matter how hard I try, after God spoke to me in this word, my flesh will struggle with my spirit. And I know, Carlos Rodriguez knows that I have worries that are trying to come constantly to my life. But listen up, listen up, guys. It's not about being worried. Jesus also got worried. Your flesh will come against you. It's not about being worried. It's about allowing worry to control you. Because when worry controls you, it is no longer the spirit that prevails, but the flesh in you. It is the flesh overpowering the spirit. 
when the spirit was afflicted in Jesus Christ, he went to prayer. When Jesus was worried, he bowed down and he said, God, I need you. I know what I'm going to go through and I'm worried, but I need you. I can't fix every situation, even if I wanted to. I can't fix every situation, even if I wanted to. I can't make everything right. And when you humble down and you acknowledge that, you go to Jesus and you say, you know, Jesus, you lived this before I did. You went through hurt before I did. You were betrayed and you were taken to that rugged cross. So I wouldn't be conquered. At the end of the day, Jesus, I have to come to you with my worries. And like a faithful soldier, what we do is we march down and we come before God and we say, why in the world should I go through it again? If the price was already paid. I don't know what you're worried is. But I believe. You're paying a price that's way too high. That you're not able to pay. I believe you're paying a price that's way too high. That was already paid. And you're debt free. But, it, but you need to be humble enough to say God. I'm looking at Gethsemane. And by your wounds, my worries are healed. I need to come to you and, and realize that what I'm really doing is allowing the flesh to take over the power of the Spirit. Spirit of God, come upon me. Help me as I humble down. I'm going to invite you today to do something that we normally don't do in this church. I'm not looking for an altar call where somebody will convert to Jesus Christ. I'm looking for somebody to look at this today. To look at this today. I'm looking for somebody to look at the nails up here and realize you don't have to pay the price. I'm looking for somebody to say, you know what? I don't have to pay the price. I'm looking for somebody here to say, Pastor, I feel just like you. This message is for me. I, I acknowledge and I accept humbly that my worry, my worry is my flesh overpowering the spirit. I want to do as Jesus did. I want to come in prayer and I want to live the way he wants me to live. I want to surrender my worries to my Lord and my Savior. So I'm going to invite everybody to rise now. And as you rise to your feet, I'm going to invite you to sing this song with me one more time. And somewhere within the song, I'm going to invite those people that have felt God speaking to them.